Acts chapter 18. You can get your Bible out. Turn to page 1278 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you don't have a copy of God's Word. Acts 18. Why the details matter. A couple things when you came in today and last week, you'll notice there's some uh, collection boxes around the campus for school supplies. So our young adults uh, small group is uh, collecting school supplies so they can be a blessing to children as uh, school's coming. So if you'll be so kind as to pick up some stuff and uh, drop it in those boxes so we can be a blessing to kids in need. Be greatly appreciated. And uh, men, remember this Saturday morning is men's breakfast. It's always a blessing to be together. I got word yesterday afternoon that our Guatemala team had landed safely and is fully uh, ready to roll all that God has in store for them. So this morning they'll uh, be ministering and worship. And so pray for them this week. And then also uh, this Tuesday, the Brazil team will be leaving for Brazil. So we'll be all over the globe this coming week. So you be sure to be praying for uh, those teams as they do the things God's called us to do. And thank you for uh, all of you that give to the I Send Fund and make that possible. We're just so grateful and thankful to do this together as a faith family. And I'd just like to say uh, just a, a word of gratitude as your pastor to you. Um, you know, this week, last Sunday night when I got done preaching, I hopped in a car and drove nine hours to go visit uh, Bill and Sandy Schroeder. And um, just the Spirit of God just told me it was time to go visit, so I went. Um, but, you know, it was an exhausting week by the time I got back, and then I immediately had to uh, get prepared for Wednesday night. And all of this on top of probably the most difficult text in Acts that we've come across, maybe that we will come across, but certainly that we've come across. And I say all that to say that What's such a blessing is to just see all of you uh, just doing what God's called you to do and how the Word has equipped you uh, to do the work of ministry and how you care for one another. And so what enables me to do what I do is knowing that you are uh, carrying on and loving each other and caring for one another and visiting and bringing meals and doing all of those things and Believe me, it's such a blessing to be able to devote myself to the ministry of prayer and the Word. Because if it weren't for all of us doing our part, it wouldn't be possible. I couldn't, on top of everything else, be a husband and raise two small children. But we can do it together as God gives us strength. So thank you. You're such an encouragement. My goodness. I love Sundays. I'm telling you. The time I spent with Bill and Sandy was just a reminder to me of what a blessing uh, being a part of a good small group Bible study is all about. I mean, that class is such a blessing. And how you have loved them and what you mean to them, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank God for all of you. Thank God for your, for your teachers every Sunday. And uh, just a lot to be grateful for. So let's pray before we jump in. Father, we come before you as a people that are just overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace towards us. Lord, we rejoice in every opportunity we get to come together and to worship you and exalt you, Lord. Father, we thank you that we can come into this place. Lord, some wounded, some uh, broken, some sick, hurting, afflicted, some uh, joyful, happy, anticipating. Lord, in every facet of life, we can come in together and we can gather and we can sing to you and praise you and listen to your word 
and allow your spirit to minister to us through it. And God, know that you are good and that you are sovereign and that you and you alone have the power to renew our minds and to revive our hearts and our spirit, Lord. And God, we thank you that this moment has been ordained by you, that we're all here and none of it is a surprise to you. And God, you have something for us. You want to speak to your people today. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, that we be reminded, be reminded of what's possible in these moments, that it would be for your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a basketball... I can go down to, uh, in fact, I did just a few uh, weeks ago, went down to Academy and bought a basketball. It was, as I paid $19 for the basketball, I thought about the fact that <laughs> I'm paying $19 for a basketball, and it's in my hands, and uh, if Steph Curry is holding this basketball, it's not $19, it's $32 million, and uh you know, while I was there, I could have bought a baseball for $6. And that's all it would have been worth in my hand. But Steven Strasburg just got $38 million to hold a baseball for a year. And you think about how one thing is worth something uh, in one hand and worth something completely different in another hand. In other words, it's not about the raw materials. It's about the hand who holds it. If we... You know, if, if in my hand a rod, maybe something that I could, you know, fend, fend off a wild animal or a snake, but a rod in Moses' hand can part the Red Sea. Well, nails in my hand could produce some kind of arts or craft or something like that, but nails in the hand of Jesus can provide salvation for the world. You see, it's about the hand that holds, that makes the difference. It's not the raw materials. And today what we're going to see is the ultimate illustration of that from the text before us. Now, what I want us to do first is I want us to just think for a moment about the Great Commission to set the context of the text that we're going to look at. I want us to think about how Jesus, before He commands us to go and make disciples... He very intentionally tells us that all authority in heaven and on earth is His. Now let's look at the text. It'll come up on the screen. Matthew 28, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, not teaching them all that I've commanded, but teaching them to observe to do all that I've commanded. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the paraphrase. This is Tony's paraphrase of the Great Commission. It's Jesus' way of saying, I have stacked the deck so completely in your favor that all you have to do is be willing to participate in your purpose. Jesus is saying in the Great Commission that I have stacked the deck so completely in your favor that all you need to do is participate in your purpose. And He'll do the rest. That's what He's telling us. Now that is a great segue into this last section in Acts chapter 18. Because we're going to be introduced to a man named Apollos. If you look at Acts 18, look at verse 24 in your Scripture in front of you. The Bible says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man has been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when... Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. 
And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now Paul is wrapping up the second missionary journey, and he's... uh, you know, coming through this season, when we went into Acts 18, we, we found Paul discouraged and a little beat down. And, and in a vision, the Lord said to him, you know, be encouraged. Keep speaking. Don't worry. And I have many people here in this city. And he was in Corinth. And believe me, Corinth isn't the kind of place where you would think God has many people. You know, it was the sin capital of the world, to say the least. And so... Um, you know, Paul is just being encouraged by the Spirit of God, but he's being reminded, and we're being reminded, that God has people in places we don't necessarily uh, suspect or we wouldn't necessarily think, but God encouraged Paul. And then Paul, as we saw last week, began to uh, put people around him who were on mission with him. And so... We learned about how incredibly important it is to, uh, to know how to discern uh, who, we, who we should have in our inner circle who's influencing us and, and encouraging us along the path of God. Now, here is a moment where we encounter a story about what happens when Raw materials come into the hands of the great disciple or God and his sovereign work to make sure that things work out according to his plan and purpose. I mean, this is an amazing passage. Now, if, if we were quantifying or qualifying raw materials, you would have a hard time finding better raw materials than this man Apollos. Now, number one on your listening guide is the right pedigree. I want us to see all these things about Apollos. He has the absolute right pedigree. In verse 24, the Bible starts out by saying that now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria. Well, he's a Jew, but he's named Apollos. Apollos isn't a Jewish name, and he's from Alexandria. So what are we learning? Well, first of all, He's Alexandrian, which is sort of like saying, oh, this is a college student from Harvard. Automatically, you assume certain things because somebody's going to Harvard. If you are from Alexandria, well, the Bible's not telling us things just to fill up space on a page. Alexandria was a, uh, a significant place. It was a place of high learning. It was a place where uh, there was a lot of intellectualism, and it was was a place where the Old Testament was being translated into Greek, which we call the Septuagint, and all of that was going on. It had had an enormous uh, library of over 700,000 volumes, which is unheard of at this time of history. And the city's named after Alexander the Great. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire and just renowned for its learning. So he grew up in the right place. He comes from the right place. He's sort of born into a, uh, a, a culture or surrounding that is, that is bred to raise people of intelligence and high learning capacity. But not only that, number two, we see he has the right desire. The right desire. Now here's what we have to understand about what the Bible tells us about Apollos. Is that first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 4, the Bible says that each one of us has a gift and that we're to minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That every person in the family of God is gifted. Every person has been gifted by God. And every person is commanded by God to use those gifts to encourage the body, to use them to build the kingdom. Everybody. 
And so Apollos is somebody who wasn't just born in the right place, but listen, he found out what was his gift. He found out how God had gifted him. Because the Bible says in verse 24 that not only was he born in Alexandria, but he was an eloquent man. You see, he was a person who, who was gifted at speaking and communicating. And he was gifted in a way that even the great apostle Paul was not gifted because that wasn't Paul's gift. What Paul said about himself in 1 Corinthians uh, 2.1 is that, I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. And you know, there's hard words that people said about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. They said, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. You see, Apollos was a great orator, and he grew up in a place where he would have been primed to to utilize that gift and to grow in that gift, and not everybody's gifted to do that, but Apollos was. And Apollos didn't just sit on his gift. He used it. You see, giftedness is only the beginning. Knowing that you're gifted is step one. Discovering what your gifts are is step two. And then utilizing those gifts is the intended purpose of all of that. But it takes dedication and intentionality. It's a, it, it grieves the heart of God that there are people in his family who just ignore the fact that he's gifted them. I want you to just imagine that you were sitting around on Christmas morning watching people that you love open presents, and maybe you had uh, given a special present to somebody that you love very much, and when it came time for them to open it, they just sort of pushed it to the side, and then one thing led to another, and as the, as the time came to a close, you realized that they had never opened it, and then they just put it back under the tree and left. How would you feel about that? What do you think the heart of God feels towards you who he's gifted and yet you've invested zero energy in discovering what those gifts are and how you are to use it? You are commanded. We are all commanded to know how we are gifted and to use it, to use it. Amen. And Listen, Apollos doesn't just sit on his gift. He nurtures it. You know, he's, he's an educated man. That didn't just happen. You don't just get educated. Believe me, education is not easy. It says he's an eloquent man, and then it says in verse 24, and mighty in the Scriptures. Well, there you go. You, how do you get mighty in the Scriptures? You don't do that by osmosis. You don't just sleep on your Bible. you got to read it, and you got to study it, and you got to learn it. Then it says in verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. You know what? To be instructed in the way of the Lord, you have to participate. Nobody forced him to be instructed. He willingly participated in instruction. So he found out how he was gifted, And he nurtured it, and he intentionally uh, built it up so that he could utilize it. His giftedness was his eloquence, his ability to speak and to hold an audience's attention. Now, it says he was mighty in the Scriptures. That word, Scriptures, is the word that's always used in the New Testament to refer to the Old Testament. And this would make perfect sense because... Alexandria had a huge population, a huge synagogue, and a huge population of Jews there. And so there he is in this sort of high-learning, Ivy League setting, if you will. And he was nurturing this insatiable desire to know the Scriptures and to worship the God who had authored the Scriptures. If only... If only the church of our day would be characterized by people who were mighty in the Scriptures. Who longed to know the Scriptures. Who found out how they're gifted, what they're passionate about, and leverage it according to the Word of God, for the heart of God. Amongst the people of God. 
We live in a time when churches don't teach the word and people don't know the word. And it's just a revolving door of doom. And here's the thing you got to understand. It's that becoming mighty in the scriptures, it, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes perseverance. But people oftentimes aren't interested because if we can't watch a YouTube video about it and get it in 30 seconds, then we just let somebody else do all the work and then spoon feed it to us. But it doesn't work like that. There's no, there's no such thing as jiffy pop discipleship. I sit in my study all week with all my big books with, filled with giant words, and that's what I come up with. <laughs> and then I think about, I feel sorry for some of you because I think to myself, there will be people Sunday morning in the service who are like, what is Jiffy Pop? <laughs> and I think, how could you not know what Jiffy Pop is? Jiffy Pop is this amazing, wonderful, <laughs> fantastic creation of God. That, listen to me now, this is serious. This is part of discipleship. You can get that at Walmart for $1.62. Like, you need to get after it. That's an amazing, amazing gift. None of this microwave junk. That's the real deal right there. It's good. Amen. But discipleship doesn't work like that. You know, you just shake it over the heat, over the fire, and then pop, 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 boom, pretty soon, bingo, you got it. That's not discipleship. It takes time. You got to work at it. You got to go. Apollos did that. Did that. Number three, he had the right target. You see, he had the right pedigree. He had the right desire because his desire was clearly to discover how he was gifted and to follow up and work to hone that in and develop it. But then he had the right target, the right target. So many people even get to one and two but don't have the right target. Notice what it says in verse 25, the second half, and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Wow. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, And these things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's intention is that what we learn, we are to teach other people. It's never to just end with us. It's always that we're to teach what we learn to other people. And yet again, it's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. It's the hurdle of so many disinterested in how they're gifted. Disconnected from God's command to use your gift. Discouraged maybe away from by the enemy, honing into your gift and becoming mighty in the Scripture. And then you come to the hurdle of, and then what I know, I know, but I, I can't teach it. I don't know who to, to teach it to. I don't know how to teach it. I don't know what to, to do with it. And here's the reality. There's too many Christians educated beyond their obedience. It's a sad state of affairs. What good would it do you? To fill your head with information. God is not a God who wants to fill your head with information. Listen, the Great Commission didn't say, go and teach them all the things I said. It said, teach them to observe them, to do them. That's a word of action. It's a word of physical, uh, uh, you know, interaction with the commands of God. It's accomplishing something. It matters. 
as, we're, as, our, as our minds increase in wisdom, our obedience should increase. As we learn more Scripture, we should obey more Scripture. That's discipleship. Apollos got all of this. He, he was, God put him in the right place. He found out how he was gifted. He, he built up and developed his gift. And then he used his gift to teach other people. Number four. But he had the wrong source. He had the wrong source. Now, look at verse 25. The Bible says, This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. You might want to underline that in your Bible. In the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, the Bible is saying things about Apollos that the Bible doesn't say about anyone. These aren't things that are said about the great Apostle Paul, who, in my opinion, is the greatest Christian who ever lived apart from Jesus. And yet, the Bible never says these sort of things about him. doesn't say these things about Moses. doesn't say these things about Daniel. No. This is a great man who has, has devoted himself to great things. I mean, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord. Now, let's just talk for a minute about he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. I'm going to put some passages of Scripture up on the screen for you to look at. In Genesis 18, that's the chapter where you have Abraham and Lot and all of that going on. The Bible says in verse 18, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep, and what is it? The way of the Lord. All the way back in Genesis 18, what about Judges 20 or Judges 2.20? Here's what the Bible says. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant that I've commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. So in their lack of obedience, here's what God says. I will no longer drive out before them the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did. That is an Old Testament expression. It's found all through the Old Testament. And then when you get to the New Testament and you get to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, for example, here's what the Bible says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare what? The way of the Lord. So this is clearly an Old Testament teaching. This is clearly drawing our attention. Luke is specifically getting us to focus on the the Old Testament scriptures, which is what Apollos had been instructed in. Now you keep reading in 25, and it says, "...and being fervent in spirit." Notice spirit is in a small, it's not capitalized. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's His Spirit. It's the word for your spirit and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Now why does Luke want us to know this? Why has God put this in the scripture so that it would arrest us at this moment and we would stop and say, okay, what's going on here? And what does this mean? And what do we do with this? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of contention about this passage of scripture. I'm not disconnected about it, but there's a lot of people that are. And there's a lot of very wonderful, wise people who disagree with what I'm about to tell you. But I feel very confident in the Spirit of God what this passage is leading us to know and understand. You see, what the Bible wants us to know about Apollos is that he was an amazing man. And that he was an amazing disciple He was an amazing Old Testament saint is what he is. 
You see, he would have known and studied accurately the Old Testament. He would have been familiar with the, the prophecies contained within. And so he would have known that Christ would be the Savior and that he would come and crush the head of the serpent and satisfy the wrath of God. That wouldn't have been new information to him. He would have known all the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. He knew and understand, understood the plan of God and the purpose of God through the lens of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. But here's the thing. He didn't know what happened on Calvary and after. He knew up until that point. He was familiar with all the things up until that point. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says about Apollos. It wasn't that Apollos' message was inaccurate or insincere. It was just incomplete. You see, what he had, he had rightly, and he had a firm grip on it, and he knew what he was supposed to know. He just didn't have all of it. He was missing some things. He was somebody who knew the Scripture, but who didn't know the significance of what happened at Pentecost. He missed that. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about the birth of the church. He didn't know about the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. Those were things that he wouldn't have learned in his Jewish culture studying the Old Testament. He certainly wouldn't have known the invitation of the gospel to the Gentile nations. He wouldn't have known that. That's all new information. And up until this point, he wouldn't know the centrality of grace and the gospel. He wouldn't know that. He would still be in an old covenant mindset. You see, all he knew was the baptism of John. Now, what was the baptism of John? What does the Bible mean by that? Well, let's look at what John said when he came on the scene in Luke chapter 1. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And what the Bible is teaching us about John's baptism is that it was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism where people would come and repent of their sin to prepare them to receive the coming one. It was a forerunner. It was something that came in front of to prepare the way for the Lord to come in person and power and do what only he can do. So you understand that knowing the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance, but it's not a baptism of, of salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit. No. So what does this tell us about Apollos? Well, it tells us that he was a great man and that he, was, he had done everything he could do rightly. But he didn't have the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean when somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit? Well, let's don't guess or let's don't, you know, uh, bank on our opinion or what we think. Let's look at the Bible. In Romans chapter 8, here's what the Bible says. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The difference between a saved person and a lost person is the Spirit of God within them. Now, what would have happened had Apollos... If I would have described Apollos exactly like the Bible describes him, what would have happened had he lived a hundred years earlier? Well, he very well may have been considered a, an Old Testament saint, and then the Bible would say it was accounted unto him as righteousness, right? Just as it was said about Abraham, just as it was said about all the Old Testament saints, right? But what's happened? That door has shut. 
In other words, once Christ comes on the scene, once he dies on the cross for our sin and rises from the dead, then the door, the door of it's accounted unto you once as righteousness. In other words, no one comes in by any other way but him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. It's the only way. So there's been a transition and so there's a great man who's done great things who can teach us a lot about what we need to do and how we need to devote ourselves. But in the end, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit because he has a baptism of John. Baptism doesn't give you the Holy Spirit. Salvation gives you the Holy Spirit. But let's understand now, this text will instruct us. Here's another text for you, John 14. Jesus said, and I will pray to the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, do you, do you see any conditionality in that statement? Jesus is saying to believers, I'm going to give you my spirit. That's how that goes. If you're my disciple, you'll receive my Spirit. If you have received me as Lord and Savior, you receive the Spirit. That's how it's always gone, and that's how the Old Testament even said that it would go. Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. No condition. I will do this. And so if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit... The person is not God's. And so we have this great man with great giftedness and great devotion who has, a, I mean, a great target. He understands everything that he needs to know, but he's deficient. He needs help. And I know there's, there's part of us right now that feels a little... You feel some tension about this. Like, how, how has this happened? What, what does this mean? I mean, it's good news is what it means. Because, listen to me. Number five is, thank God he had the right God. Thank God he had the right God. What does God do with these raw materials in His hand? You see, God never lets anyone willing go to waste. Never. Never. This text is so... It just, it just reeks with the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Look at verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. I mean, just look. He's in the synagogue. And he's a whiz at the Old Testament. And the Jews think he is the greatest thing ever. They love him. And he's in there just letting it fly. I mean, he is waxing eloquent. When, I mean, there's a period. And then it says, when Aquila and Priscilla. And believe me, that, that. There's a pause there that's just monumental. There he is doing what he does all the time, every Sabbath day. When just so happens, by coincidence, these two people that we were introduced to last week that Paul had associated himself with, these two people that Paul had been ministering to, these two people that were on board with Paul, they were encouragers of Paul, they became two of Paul's closest friends. They're the most recognized married couple in the, Old in the New Testament. They're people that were as close to Paul as anyone, except maybe Timothy. Aquila and Priscilla heard him. Now, how did they get... Here, they came with Paul. And listen, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Wow. Aquila and Priscilla. Don't you love it when 
you know, a couple's names rhyme together. Isn't that great? It's like if I would have married somebody named Joni. It just gets weird, doesn't it? I think it gets weird. This was the moment that changed everything for Apollos. So there's Apollos up there preaching. Everybody just leaned up on the edge of their seat listening. And there's Aquila and Priscilla. And they're, they're listening to him teach. And they're, they're looking at each other, you know. And they're sort of thinking, hmm. And as he goes on, they begin to notice, wait a minute, something's missing here. They realize he doesn't have the full picture. He's missing part of the equation. So they don't interrupt his teaching. They don't make a scene. They don't call him a heretic. They don't, you know, pull him aside and uh, publicly, you know, tell him all the things he did wrong. They invite him over for lunch. And he comes over. Here's this very respected teacher. Highly sought after speaker. He thinks he's just going over to have lunch with this wonderful couple that was in church today. And he goes into their home and that's what that phrase means. They took him aside. And they begin to minister to him and they explain to him the parts of the story that he's missing. They, they, they give him the rest of the gospel. They take him the full way home. Now here's what's so encouraging about all this. Is that they have nothing in common. Nothing. These are two tent makers who got run out of town because they're Jewish. They, 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 they go from one place to another place. They've connected with Paul. You know, they're just, you know, totally uprooted making tents to put food on the table. This older married couple, this young, single, hotshot speaker, they were, I'm sure, uneducated. He's highly educated. Very intellectual. And it shows us something about discipleship. It shows us that discipleship is, is not about putting people together based on affinity or based on proximity to one another. That discipleship oftentimes works best when you put people together that seemingly on the surface have very little in common. But a love and desire for Christ. You see, that's really all it takes. Some of the most... Uh, Amazing and wonderful things that happen around here in D groups happen in D groups that are, that are sort of blended together by people who wouldn't normally be together. People with younger kids, with people who've already raised their kids, or people with no kids. And this is one of the reasons why some of you have probably wondered this, some of you old-timey Baptist people. Usually it's about once a year. Somebody will come and they'll be new here and they'll say, Preacher, see that's how I know you're old timey Baptist. You call me preacher. <laughs> My name's Tony. Just Tony. Preacher, uh, well, where's the Where's the class for people, you know, where's the class for people my age? How come, the, how come the Sunday school classes aren't divided by? Because it's not like that in the Bible. Who came up with that dumb idea? Look at right here in the text. You ought to be able to go to class wherever you want to go to class. You ought to be to go to class where you're being fed. 
You ought to be able to go to class where a teacher's teaching things that minister to you. And here's what the, the most diverse groups in this church are some of the most amazing. Amen. That's good. Think of all of the, the commands in Scripture that are negated if we only spend time with people that are in the same exact stage of life that we are. Now, I'm not the first one to figure this out. So why do so many churches do this? Because that's what people want. But that's not what the Bible wants. That's not what God wants. God wants you. This, I am very, very convicted about this. I feel so strongly that we ought to be able to go where we go. And when men get together, there ought to be young men at tables with older men. When women get together, there ought to be older women with younger women. Why do I not have an older table over here and a middle table over here? And, you know, and then you always got the people who don't know what to do because they're in the middle. And so they're confused. Well, I'm always confused. Because I don't understand the context of that to begin with. So anyway, back to the sermon. Look at verse 27. So we see this picture of... Diversity and discipleship. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, so this is Apollos, he wants, which is Corinth, he wants to go to Corinth. The brethren in Ephesus wrote a letter exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly Showing from the scriptures that, and here's the key to underline, Jesus is the Christ. You got that? Now, before Apollos spent time with Aquila and Priscilla, he accurately taught the things of God, the things of the Lord. After he spends time with Aquila and Priscilla, he shows from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. You see the gigantic transition that's occurred there? That's a monumental, eternal transition right there. What's happened is, is that he's been fully discipled. And so therefore, the church at Ephesus commends him to the church at Corinth, and he goes to Corinth where Paul had done a great work. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla had just been in Corinth and then came with Paul. And so he goes there, and now he's not teaching in the synagogue. He's vigorously refuting the Jews publicly. You see? What a beautiful picture. This isn't a picture of look at how great Apollos is. This isn't a picture of look at how great Aquila and Priscilla are. This is a picture of look at how great God is. That when someone has a willing heart, God is going to put in their path the people that they need to get where they desire to go. You see, He won't let a willing heart go to waste. This is a picture of a, of a sincere seeker and God orchestrating all of these events. Listen, it didn't just happen that he happened to be in the synagogue teaching that day. It didn't just happen that Paul happened to take Priscilla and Aquila with him when he left. It didn't just happen that they happened to be in the synagogue the same day that that happened. It didn't just happen to happen that Paul wasn't even there the day that happened. He's gone. They're there. He's teaching. They hear it. They're non-threatening. This older couple, you know, probably with crimpled up hands from making tents, they, you know, invite him over for a meal, have a conversation with him, begin to explain things to him. Apollos proves the heart that he has because he's not offended. He's, he doesn't feel rebuked. He receives it with joy and gladness because clearly it all goes according to God's good and perfect plan. Don't you see how wonderful this is? This, is, this, is, this should encourage your heart. That when we love people, if their heart is willing, if they're seeking genuinely, God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. Now, I want to be part of the process. 
But I also go into it knowing that it doesn't depend on me. And that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. So, some observations. Observation number one. We just need to sort of process a couple things. First of all, it's a good reminder that God doesn't need a professional, just a participant. That's all He needs. Now, you would think that here's Apollos, and he's able to learn things on command. He's, he's ultra-intelligent, intimidating. I mean, just, you know, in my mind, I just have this picture. Now, you would think that they, they would all huddle together. Aquil and Priscilla would call Paul. They'd get Timothy and Silas, and everybody would get together, and they would, or maybe they'd go back and, and to Antioch and get all the apostles together and have another council and say, what are we going to do about Apollos? How are we going to deal with this? And then, you know, they draw, take, cast lots or something, and then, you know, fly in the, the high-powered disciple-maker to talk to Apollos. That's not how it went down. It's just two ordinary people. No expert discipler. Just this uneducated couple. Tent makers. Just average people. Love Jesus. Mm. Ordinary people making an unbelievable impact. Now, what do you think God's trying to tell us this morning? What does he want you to do in response to this reality? Who comes to your mind when you think about those who had the greatest impact on you and your faith initially? I don't know, uh, but I don't think any of you in the room would stand up and say, well, it was that time that I sat down and had dinner with Billy Graham. Boy, that changed my life, I tell you. That was a watershed moment for me. It was that moment that I was sitting on my couch, and there was a knock at the door, and I opened the door, and there's Charles Stanley. Hey, brother. You know, no notes and 75 points. That guy, there he is. Yeah. Some of you, come on, catch up. Woo, here we are, you know coffee wore off no who, who was it what average ordinary person did God use to to spur you along to carry you along to teach you and show you the ways of God every believer should be able to answer two questions Who am I discipling and who's discipling me? There should be somebody in front of you and somebody behind you, and they should be in your life. And every church has got to ask itself a question. What is our plan to disciple people, and is it working? Because I wouldn't want to waste my time in a church that wasn't trying to disciple people and it wasn't working. I wouldn't waste my time because it's an utter failure. Everything fails. If there's no discipleship, there's no point. We should just pack it in and move on. That's why we're so devoted to discipleship. Intentionally, the way we are, to drive you into community with other people that may be completely different from you, that can rub up against you and mold you and shape you to drive you into community where you interact at a regular, consistent, deep level with Scripture. Because, listen, there's a lot of pitfalls out there. Apollos, Apollos, he believed. 
He knew. But he needed help. He needed somebody to come alongside and help him. And God doesn't need a professional. He just needs a participant. You know, he can handle it. I'm pretty sure I said this last week. When it comes down to this moment, so many times what you say in your head is, I just don't know enough to teach or disciple anyone. And I'll say it again. If you're saved, you know enough to teach someone. Because at what point did it become dependent on you? I'm pretty sure the Spirit of God is what's carrying us through. I'm pretty sure the Bible promises that the Spirit within us is going to give us the words we need in the moment we need them. Isn't that what the Bible says? It's what the Bible says. So we must have a belief problem. We must have. He doesn't need a professional. Just someone to say, I, I'll do it. I'll speak up, Lord. Observation number two. God's way is not glamorous. It's glorifying to Him. What would have happened? Think about Apollos. Apollos goes on to be a big deal. I mean, he's a big deal now, but he really becomes a big deal. But you think about Apollos, and you, you, and you think about these two sort of completely under-the-radar people. You know, if you were playing some Bible trivia game, almost every person in this room would miss any question about Aquila and Priscilla. Wouldn't even, you wouldn't know that. They're not on the forefront of your mind. You know, you could grow up in church as a kid and never even hear those names or know anything about them. They're not glamorous, but man, are they glorifying to God. Their reward's not on earth, but it certainly is in heaven. And Apollos goes on from this interaction to do amazing things. For the kingdom of God. All because two unassuming people. You know, I was, I was just trying to picture like, wonder what Apollos was thinking when he went over to their hut and met with them. You know, I mean, wonder, wonder how that went. You know, they, these people that, that here's, I don't, I don't know a lot about them, but I know enough to know they're gypsies because they've been totally uprooted. They haven't had time to set, so they don't have any roots. So they're just sort of transient. So whatever means they have, they're still living out of boxes. So they're sitting around with paper plates on boxes, eating microwave burritos. And Apollos is, you know, thinking, what? And, they're, and they just start to minister to him behind the scenes. God does this great work. And, and no, there's no flash. Nobody sees it. But what happens when you... When you finish chapter 18 and you move into chapter 19, what happens? See, Apollos... Goes to Corinth. And so the church at Ephesus sends a letter commending him to the Corinthian believers. And so he leaves and goes to Corinth and starts doing amazing things. And then Paul, remember, he had to go keep the feast last week. And so he comes back. You remember, you know, he got a haircut. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You have to listen to it online. So he got a haircut. But now he comes back with his, you know, newly quaffed hair and what does he find and if you read the beginning of 19 Paul finds this group of men who are only have the baptism of John 
And Paul walks in and says, hey, do you know the Holy Spirit? And they say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, let me tell you about him. And then he teaches them. And then he baptizes them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, who, who taught the men in chapter 19? Who were devout followers, but they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Who'd they, who'd they been learning under? Apollos. Who did God send to minister to Apollos? Aquila and Priscilla. So did God just let these, this dozen people that were confused and didn't have the Spirit, does God only care about the important Apollos in the world or does He care about everybody? And so then Paul comes up behind and Paul cleans up the rest. In other words, God completely handles his business. You see that? God takes care of it. He makes sure that he puts his people where his people need to be when they need to be there. And you could never convince me that if Aquila and Priscilla would have blown it and not spoke up and been intimidated by Apollos, God would have used someone else. He's not going to let Apollos go. He's not going to do that. Because he has, he has many people in this city. They're his people. Remember when Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17 and he said, all the ones that you've given to me? You see, he's not going to let any of them slip through his hand. No, no. He's the one who's going to leave the 99 to go find the one. So he's, God's going to take care of what God's going to take care of. And so God takes care of Apollos, but he doesn't just forget about these other unnamed individuals. Paul comes up behind him. And who sends Paul to Ephesus? God. At just the right time. And think about this. Paul arrives on the scene, meets these disciples of Apollos, and who's not there? Apollos. Don't you see the grace of God in that? Because how would Apollos have felt if he'd have been there and Paul in front of, uh, you know, watching as Paul corrected all this, he would have felt horrible. But just, as, just, just that extra mile of grace. He's gone to Corinth. He probably didn't know anything about that until he got the glory. It's just God being God. That's who God is. That's what God does around here all the time. Every time somebody comes up front and publicly professes Christ, that is an illustration of a great God who has been orchestrating millions of details spanning across years or decades or whatever it is, just little things, peace here, peace there, peace here, bringing you along to get you to where He knows you want to be. The worst thing we could do is get there and then just sit down. That's the worst thing we could do. The least appreciation we could show to God for all that He's done is to just receive all the grace that He shed abroad in our hearts and then say, well, thank God I got it. To hell with everybody else. Wouldn't our heart's devotion be to do whatever, whatever we can do to leverage our lives, however God has gifted us, to utilize our vocations, to utilize our skill set, to utilize our, our passions and our desires, to utilize these things for the, for the kingdom of God. Yes. God didn't save us to sit in pews and stare at somebody. That's not what we're here for. We're here to come and gather together and get our cup filled to overflowing and then be launched out of here on mission. 
to our homes and to our jobs and to our neighborhoods and to our... And listen, here's the thing. I know you feel this burden to go find, and that is a, a lie. Did Paul have to go hunt down these disciples in, in chapter 19? Did Aquila and Priscilla have to hunt down Apollos? I've never had to hunt anybody down in my life. You know what? God drops them right in my lap, just like he does you. There are people right now in your life, right now, and the reason they're in your life right now is because God has given you an opportunity to participate. All you have to do is step up. That's all you have to do. Why does this matter so much? Hmm. Think about what the Bible will go on to say about Apollos. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, you've probably read these verses and it just never really meant what it means in the context. But the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, Now I say this, and he's talking to the Corinthian church which is where Apollos goes and stays, that each of you says, well, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Peter, or Cephas, or I am of Christ. That is a big statement. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is, he is telling the church at Corinth, hey, there's too many of you, there's too many factions and one of these factions, the second faction he mentioned is Apollos. This is how prominent he is. This is how people follow him and, and listen to him and rally behind him. And then Paul would say some of his most profound and famous words around Apollos. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted and Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. Oh, you see? That's why it matters. That's why it matters. It's not, it's not glamorous. But we don't do what we do for glamour. There's a whole lot more glamorous ways to have church. Amen? than this. No. But it glorifies God. So Jesus is asking us this morning, since I have stacked the deck so completely in your favor, are you willing to participate in the purpose for which I made you? Are you willing to participate in the purpose for which I made you. What a God we serve. Let's stand and bow our heads.